Hi there, this is Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. And this is the Love to Tell the Story podcast. Well, what becomes very clear in reading the closing chapters of the Gospels, that is the stories about what happened after the resurrection, as well as reading the entirety of the book of Acts, is that because of the risen Christ, the disciples' lives were changed forever. And the good news is that the same can be said about yours and mine. That's the subject of today's message, which is based on a story about Peter and John from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 21. It's entitled, Holy Boldness. Perhaps you have heard the story about the man who goes out on a job interview. And during said interview, the personnel director for this particular company says, now what you need to understanding stand here is that in this position, we are seeking a responsible person. To which the man smiles broadly and replies, well then I'm just the man for the job. Everywhere I've ever worked, whenever anything went wrong, they said I was responsible. (laughs) Well, let me just say right here, folks, that there are times in my life when I can certainly relate to that. Actually, unless I miss my guess, I suspect when it comes to life and living, a whole lot of us feel like sometimes we have moments when we are feeling like no matter what we do, or how we do it, we'll end up in some kind of trouble or another. And while that's true for life, I'm also here to tell you this morning that this applies even at times to living a life of faith. Moments in which we become all too aware, as our statement of faith succinctly puts it, that there is a cost as well as a joy of discipleship. Basically, folks, if you're going to follow Jesus where he leads, then inevitably trouble is bound to follow. Now, having said that, I do understand that's not how we prefer to think of our Christian faith, right? Especially here as we are still in the midst of Eastertide. I also don't wish to suggest that that there aren't abundant blessings that come in following Jesus, because there most certainly are. But we do have to realize that Christianity, by its very nature, is counter-cultural. Biblically speaking, we are in the world, but not of the world. If our faith in Jesus Christ is real, that is, if what we espouse in that faith by word and action, we are bound to be stirring up trouble. As well, might I add, as ruffling feathers, upsetting apple carts, hurting feelings, challenging authority, and in general doing that which will inevitably lead to accusations of force-feeding our religion on others. This is not to say that we shouldn't espouse our faith. On the contrary, we are called, each and every one of us, 
to proclaim the good news. And it is good news. But it also means, as a dear friend and colleague used to say, in the eyes and ears of the world, the gospel is often seen as offensive. So we better get used to how easily some people are offended. This is a truth that is beautifully illustrated in our text for this morning, the one that Chris just shared with us, which is drawn from the fourth chapter of the book of Acts, in which Peter and John are arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin, who were, in essence, the Jewish Supreme Court. And this happens, we're told, because the temple leaders were much annoyed, much annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus there is resurrection of the dead. Let's just stop right there and think about that. Much annoyed. They got arrested because the temple leaders were annoyed. Don't you love it? Truthfully, it really is more than that. What really set them off is to be found in the chapter just prior to our reading today from Acts chapter 3. And it's about how Peter and John, on their way into the temple at the hour of prayer, came upon a man who was lame from birth. A man who was there as he was every day, begging for alms, that is, begging for money so that he could survive. Peter and John didn't have any money because they themselves were poor. But as, as the, the book of Acts records it, Peter says to the man and says, What I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And just like that, the man stands up and he walks. But actually, that's putting it mildly. As Acts records it, immediately this man is jumping up. He's walking and leaping and praising God. It was, by anybody's reckoning, a miracle. And everybody there at the gate of the temple had seen it happen, including, as it turns out, the temple powers that be, who were, of course, none too pleased, and the level of annoyance went from here to here. So now, at our, as we pick up the reading today, here's Peter and John, and they're standing before this high council. They're comprised of the, the most intellectual, the wealthiest people of the day. And they are being interrogated, admonished, and they are being out and out hassled for their actions the day before. By what power or by what name did you do this, they demand to know. Or perhaps more to the point, as the message renders it, who puts you in charge here? What business do you have doing this? And may I insert here the Lowry translation? Who do you think you are anyway? And this, this is when the story really gets going. This is when Peter, with all boldness and filled with the Holy Spirit, he looks squarely at the powers of the bee and he says this, if we are being questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick, and, and you're asking how he was healed, let it be known that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. 
pretty powerful statement there. But what's key to remember is this is a major thing for Peter. Because Peter had not always been so bold. Remember, this is the same man who on the night of betrayal and desertion had not only run away from that situation with Jesus, but also ran away out of fear for his, that his own life was threatened. And so he had shut both his mouth and his heart to Jesus. Even considering that graceful, albeit awkward, moment of forgiveness that happened on the beach with the risen Christ, uh, our Bible study group looked at that this past Wednesday, what happens here really kind of seems out of character for Peter. But this is what happened. This is how it went. Here's Peter boldly, boldly speaking truth to power. And it's an amazing moment. But the question is, how'd that happen? Lutheran pastor uh, Barbara Berry Bailey asked much the same question. Peter, she writes, was no smarter than he was before the crucifixion. He was still uneducated. His social status and his status in the religious community had not changed at all. He was, as they say, everyday people. So what changed Peter? What gave him this newfound boldness? And the answer, she concludes, is that the resurrection happened. It was because of the resurrection. Because the Jesus who had preached love and forgiveness had risen from the dead. It was because Jesus had appeared to Peter and John and all the others, bringing the kind of peace that the world could neither give them nor take away. It was because those disciples now knew what it was to have a place in the kingdom of God. It was because now, forgiven, empowered, and sent forth with the light of the resurrection, Peter could boldly proclaim Jesus as the anointed one of God, and he could heal the sick in his name. And all of that happening there before the council is an amazing climax to all of that. But you know what? What makes for me this, this passage particularly wonderful is that really neither Peter nor John seem to care even a little that their lives might now be in jeopardy. All that concerned them at that moment, all that mattered, was that they needed to spread this good news of Christ by word and a good deed done to someone who is sick. Even when the Sanhedrin, who totally resented what these two upstarts were doing, but could not even decide how or even if to punish them for it, even when they warned these two that they were on no account ever again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus, Peter responds by saying, you can think what you want. You can judge us how we will, how you will. But as for us, we cannot keep from speaking about that, what we have seen and heard. In other words, 
Peter's not going to be quiet anymore. He's not going to deny his Lord any longer. He is truly, as they say, a man on a mission. And he is going to be bold about it no matter what the cost. To wit, on this moment of censure, the apostles begin a courageous witness in the name of Jesus. And as they spoke, even the Sanhedrin recognized, they had to recognize that there had been a notable sign done through them. And they decided that while what these two companions of Jesus had done there at the temple gate was, well, technically illegal and certainly disruptive to the status quo, or at least their status quo, it was also kind of impressive. And it wasn't going to, it couldn't be denied. What had happened there, friends, is that Peter and John had been bold. Bold in their faith in the risen Christ. And by the way, the Greek word that's translated here as boldness is parisia, which means telling all. So in what might be referred to as holy boldness, what Peter and John had done was simply to tell all about the good news of Jesus Christ. And the message for us today, friends, is that so can we. Because of the resurrection, we can be bold. We can boldly communicate the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. We can boldly speak with the conviction and character based on this undeniable truth that serves as both the bedrock and compass of our very lives. Friends, this is central to who we are as believers. This is what it means to be Christian. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. The stone that was first rejected has now become the cornerstone, and like Peter and John before us, and in company with the saints in this and every generation, we can be bold in proclaiming this good news. Of course, all this does kind of beg the question, are we being bold about this? Really? In one of his novels, C.S. Lewis described one of the main characters as someone who liked to be liked. There was, Lewis wrote in describing this person, a good deal of spaniel in him. <laughs> I love that line. It's perfect, because is there any more creature more devoted to wanting to please and to be loved than a dog? Well, friends, I'm here to tell you today that there are a great many Christians who approach life and their faith in precisely the same way, which is, uh, amongst other things, to kind of keep your religion to yourself, to never say anything about your personal faith for fear it might possibly offend anybody, somebody, somehow. Uh, to always kind of keep your messages upbeat 
and fun, to do everything, everything with a smile on your face, and keep anything at all that might even remotely be challenging or life-changing or life-giving way back on the back burner for fear it might put us into an awkward situation with others. Now, do not misunderstand me here. An attitude of love and joy is an important and essential, I believe, tenet of our Christian faith. And I do think it's a crucial element in the life of the church. No one responds to a faith that is wholly remorseful and morose. But it's not, it's more than just happy, happy, joy, joy all the time. There is more to the gospel than that. The gospel is about our redemption from sin. The gospel is about living lives in a way that's brand new and full of purpose. It's about letting Christ live in and through us so that we can do the work of God's kingdom in a world that does not understand or accept it. It's about living this life with holy boldness. The fact is, and I think you'll agree with me here, that we need boldness in the church today. The church needs everyday people who testify to the living Lord by the words they say, by the things that they do, by the priorities they set for themselves and their families. Here's another quote from Barbara Barry Bailey. If the resurrection has changed everything, the question is, how has it changed your life? If you believe that Christ is alive, if you have been touched by the word of God's love and forgiveness, how can you keep silent about what you have seen? How has your life been transformed? You don't have to stand on a street corner with a bullhorn, she goes on to say. And you don't have to stand in the middle of an auditorium full of strangers to boldly proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. The most effective proclamation, she concludes, is by everyday people who share their faith and their faith stories with all the other everyday people. We need to be bold about sharing our stories, as simple as that. Now, these are difficult times, to say the least. It is a challenging time for us to be and to live as a people of faith. But I believe with all my heart that these are the days when the world and this community is hungry for God. I believe that you and I are here to pray, to believe, and to lead others in faith. And I believe that God can and does do greater things in you and in me than we have ever begun to imagine. But I also believe that we need to be far bolder about proclaiming this than we are. We need to be bold. Oh, and, and by the way, by bold, I don't mean running roughshod over everything and everyone to get your opinion across and to be right. What I'm talking about 
is being bold for the sake of Jesus Christ. What we say, what we do, how we treat others, both the ones who are close to us and and perfect strangers, how we live in this world, should in fact be neither judgmental nor divisive, but needs to be voiced with the language of proclamation so that others might see us and come to embrace Christ themselves. And yes, know up front, there are going to be people who turn a deaf ear to what we have to say. In some instances, it's going to take a whole lot of time and much persistence for our message to take hold in some hearts. And even then, there are going to be some people who will look you squarely in the eye and they will howl in protest and derision. And folks, take it from one who knows. Those are always the ones who feel like they're the loudest and the most hurtful voices of all. But you know what? Ultimately, that doesn't matter. In her wonderful collection of devotionals, entitled Jesus in Blue Jeans. Lori Beth Jones points out that howler monkeys are the loudest animals in the jungle. But, she goes on, they are not the most powerful. Let me just tell you, friends, at this juncture, those are words to live by. And there have been times in my life when I needed to take those words to heart. Howler monkeys are the loudest monkeys of loudest monkeys and the loudest animals in the jungle, but they are not the most powerful. And then I look to Jesus. Jesus met with a few complaints along the way. He suffered the taunts and the derision of the status quo. They crucified him for who he was. But here's the thing. Jesus rose again, and by his teachings, his death and his resurrection, he changed the world, and he changed us along with it. When we follow Jesus, there are those who are going to complain. There will be taunts and derision of the status quo, just like what happened to Jesus. We may not be crucified, but we will certainly be ostracized. We will certainly be judged. We will certainly stand in the realm of judgment. But because of the resurrection, because of Jesus being risen from the dead, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Because we choose to follow Jesus with our very lives, we can be bold. We can say and do what we know to be true and right by faith. And as far as those howler monkeys of this world are concerned, he'll let them howl. They are not the most powerful. In Jesus Christ, we are far more powerful than that. Beloved, My prayer for each and every one of us is that we might be bold for the sake of Jesus Christ, that we might serve him with our very lives, that we might seek to change the world for the sake of Christ, 
and that everything we do and everything we are might be by the grace of God. So may our thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Holy Boldness. It was recorded during our April the 23rd service of worship at East Church, where, by the way, you are always invited to join us in person for worship. Happens every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, which is just off exit 16 of I-93 in beautiful Concord, New Hampshire. We are a small but mighty congregation, and we would love to have the opportunity to welcome you. And I know you will be glad you came. For now, that's it for this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I thank you for listening today. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.